Instead of names and dates, let's focus on the narrative. I'm Adam Blesky. Each month I sit down with a friend to have a real conversation about a part of history that's new to them. The goal is to make connections, to foster curiosity, and to appreciate how incredible the story of humanity truly is. I'm not an expert. This isn't a lecture. This is HI 101. Ancient Egypt is a bit of a monolith. We tend to think of any period of its civilization as more or less the same, and while this is usually a simplification, part of the reason is that it tended to be extremely stable, changing only slowly and deliberately. One glaring exception to this rule, though, is known as the Aten Heresy, in which a pharaoh decided to unilaterally transform Egyptian culture and religion overnight. It's this turmoil that we'll be dealing with in this episode. Let's begin. All right, I'm here on HI101 with Kevin Miller. Hi, it's me. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back. It's always a pleasure. Today we're going to talk about Egypt, which Hooray. I'm very excited about because uh, if you if you look back on sort of the the episodes that I've done so far, they have not been ancient like at all. Yeah, mine have all been like 20th century. <laughs> yeah, and and I think the um I'm trying to remember, but I think the, the furthest back that I go is about a thousand years when we're talking about, no, 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 1200 years when we're talking about Charlemagne. So like the 800s. Right. Yeah. Which uh, sounds like a long way back uh, until. More years than I am. <laughs> until you look at what the uh, what the scale is that we're talking about. Today, the fullness is, of time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're talking about um, the Egyptian civilization, which is incomprehensibly long ago i, well, I, I don't think I don't know about well, no but i think I, I think people don't understand how long that civilization stuck <laughs> what thousands of years means yeah yeah because i mean how many like what, what do you think of when you think of like a long-lasting civilization like i don't know the romans yeah, they were maybe. around for less than a thousand years sure and it echoes certainly but sure oh oh absolutely it echoes but as far as them actually uh, being like in the fullness of their power, at least in the West. Anyways. Oh yeah, well, definitely. <laughs> you know, they're they're they they were kind of a flash in the pan compared to what year uh, what uh, Egypt had going on. Egypt started, or they their traditional start was somewhere between thirty four hundred and three thousand BCE mm-hmm. before Common Era, which people have started using instead of BC and AD. Um, it means the exact same thing, just for for reference. But yep, <laughs> it's a little bit more uh, a Secular. little bit more accurate. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, that's that's like as much as 5,400 years ago. Yeah. And that's just where they count the start of their first dynasty, like their first pharaoh. Mm-hmm. And the thing that distinguished him from anything that came before was that he united the upper and lower kingdoms, which means that there were already two kingdoms that would become Egypt oh, that were I lasting see, see. even before that. So proto-Egypt. <laughs> this is a very, very long time ago. Yeah, we'll talk about upper and lower Egypt a little bit. 
and just uh just That's so you know to me <laughs> well it's 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 the the traditional two kingdoms that were united into into egypt mm-hmm. and the interesting thing there is that we're used to looking at maps north oriented right right yeah upper egypt is actually south of lower egypt because they use that term based on the flow of the Nile. so it's upper canada lower canada all over again yeah exactly (laughs) it's the exact same it's the exact same problem so when we're talking about upper egypt it's south it's kind of down in like sudan area Mm -hmm. and lower egypt is is the one that's touching the mediterranean completely off topic was upper canada lower canada like a saint lawrence river thing that's correct yeah all right well there you go it's exactly right yep cool yep but you know that that whole map thing really really messes with people a oh, lot sure. it's hard to yeah. kind of keep that in mind when we're talking about it well yeah and i mean there's certainly a lot to be said for uh the scientific and academic mind of egyptians in general as far as you know cartoons have taught me but um <laughs> uh, i don't know how big cartography was at the time the Egyptians had a pretty good handle on things like that. In fact, oh, I feel a little bit bad about this because cool. it's um, no, no, no. It's not that kind of feeling. Really <laughs> Here's bad. something you this should clearly know, Miller. This, this isn't no, no, no. It's not that. It's not that at all. And it's not. I feel bad. You know, a la let's talk about the you know Mayan genocide again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> here we go again. Here we go again. Um, no, I, I feel bad about it because it's kind of a bit of a history faux pas. But there's this guy named Herodotus, or there was this guy named Herodotus, who sounds familiar. Yeah, is kind of considered the father of history in that he was careful to like look for evidence on things like things, but he didn't always do a great job of it. So generally, his works are more or less discredited. That being said, was there, it like there was anecdotal? Some... <laughs> was it like completely anecdotal or something? Yes. But before him, anecdotal evidence was taken as gospel truth. Ah, gotcha. Herodotus went about kind of examining the validity or, or discussing the validity of, of anecdotal evidence. So mm-hmm. he, would, he would write down a story, but then he would go, uh, this could very well be true because I saw this or I've met people who have done that. Or oh, there's see. no way that this could be true because this doesn't make sense or that doesn't make sense. Here's a little bit of evidence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So... He was at least analyzing his his information, which is a gotcha citation needed. <laughs> yeah, which was a big thing at that point in time. No, we we don't listen to Herodotus because he did a really bad job of vetting that information. Uh, that being said, when he visited Egypt in, I'm going to say it's about the fifth century. I could be wrong on that. That'll go in the show notes. Yeah, sure. Because I did not write down when Herodotus was going to Egypt. That was <laughs> not unexpected. Ex- not exactly germane to this topic, but let's continue. I didn't think we'd get there. Listen, anyways. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> Listen, I can't remember exact centuries. What do you want? <laughs> um, when Herodotus was there, he talked about the Egyptians having sailed all the way around Africa. Mm-hmm. So out the, the Mediterranean, through the Straits of Gibraltar, yep. down the west coast of Africa, around uh, where is South Africa now, mm-hmm. and back up to um, the Red Sea on the other side, hmm. basically mapping the entire thing. And he talked about them, um, you know, for example... Uh, noting the the difference in the length length of days, whether or not you're above or below the equator, things okay, like that. Yeah. So they they were actually fairly accomplished when it came to map making, which is a huge digression to to one side for one comment. But I think sure, it's an interesting point. I think my original point was it really wouldn't have mattered to them whether north or south is no, at the no, top no. of a map. <laughs> no, their lives were so focused around the the Nile and the. Uh, the, the patterns of the Nile that uh, they, were, they were far more interested in that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so we've kind of established how long the existence of the Egyptian culture or the Egyptian civilization was. 
that that whole almost 6,000 years ago thing, that's that's way further back than we're talking about. Uh, we're going to be talking about the period known as the New Kingdom, specifically the 18th Dynasty. Right. The New Kingdom was only 3,500 years Finally, ago. Finally, something I can relate to. <laughs> and it's it's interesting because... You know, when when a when a civilization lasts that long, there are things within that civilization that they see as as so ancient as to be um, true, yeah, impossible yeah. to to uh, to relate to. I mean, well, yeah, it'd be like us in the modern day looking back to then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, we we don't have any sort of but within the same sort of civilization. That's interesting. Well, I mean, how how much how much civil you know? Yeah, uh, there's not three thousand years of Canadian history, really. <laughs> yeah, but even yeah, exactly. And even if you look at sort of European culture, how much kinship do you feel to the people who um, were at the Battle of Hastings taking over England, or yeah. say Viking raiders, or mm-hmm. you know, like that's it's just it has nothing to do with your culture. <laughs> nothing at all. Mm-hmm. Nothing at all. They were dealing with that on a much grander scale at this point in time. That being said, there was a lot of continuity as well through Egyptian culture. I mean, their their writing systems stayed. I mean, there was evolution, but there was a lot of continuity there as well. Mm-hmm. The language was uh, slow enough to develop, and because of the the writing system, there was a lot of connection with people that were were much further back than we can find a f- kind of feel a, a kinship to. Mm-hmm. And I, I mentioned it earlier, but this this sort of focus on the cyclical nature of the Nile was really important to them to sort of develop a. Uh, a more uh, cyclical rather than linear concept of time. Right. So they saw things as much more uh, of, a, of a circle rather than a line. Uh, if we want to time get, is a flat circle. Yeah, exactly. If we want to get a little bit philosophical about it, but you know, the reality is when when you look at farming in say say Europe or in North America, a lot of what you're dealing with is you know weather related. Mm-hmm. If you have a if you have a dry season. You're gonna have a really bad crop. It's just not gonna go well. Yep, it's all very causal. The uh, agriculture that took place in Egypt was all based on the swelling and receding of the Nile because the 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 river would swell up. It would deposit all of these nutrients in the soil. The silt. Yeah, exactly. Here's one of the four facts that I know about Egypt, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and then it would recede, and it would leave really rich earth that they would plant their crops in. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really as important to them how uh, you know weather on a year to year basis would go they would pretty much have the exact same crop uh, Mm -hmm. or expectation of a crop yield so you know stuff like that tended to be a lot more constant for them right yeah Um, i mean they don't have to wait for specific rainstorms or rainy seasons that if they don't come then they have nothing because the river's there and it's going to be there exactly it's going to you know time and tide wait for no man the tides are going to come in Mm -hmm. the river's going to swell yeah exactly so, anyways, we were we were trying to narrow back down to the 18th dynasty. <laughs> we were trying. So, the official dates for the 18th dynasty are uh, 1543 to 1292 BCE. As I said, we're we're 3,500 yeah. years and some change. So about 250 years. All right. Yep. And the uh, sort of the defining beginning of the 18th dynasty was when uh, a pharaoh called uh, Ahmos the first um, expelled a group of people called the Hyksos from lowered egypt so the 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 nile delta area Mm -hmm. back in the 13th dynasty 
the Hyksos had come in and basically driven the Egyptians out of that area, which is the most fertile and, and productive area of Egypt, right? Sure, the one that you want. <laughs> the one that you want, exactly. And and essentially taken over what had once been Lower Egypt. So there's an inter- intermediary period where there's a whole bunch of little dynasties that last a very short amount of time. I see, I see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and that ended when uh, Ahmos took like led a, a military campaign against these so people finally, <laughs> and and drove them out. Well, I mean, it's only like a uh, uh, hundred years uh, uh, that they held that area. A hundred years where you're not holding your own crop, you know, fertile cropland. <laughs> right. In, <laughs> Seems in, like a long time. I'm sure. I, I yeah, absolutely. On a on a human scale, that's and that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about with Egypt is you lose a sense of human scale on on so many things with Egypt. Well, sure. Because. In, in the scale of, of thousands of years, 100 years really doesn't seem like that big of a problem. No, it doesn't. But that's like, you know, at the time, like, what, three or four generations? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. The the 18th dynasty, in contrast to that intermediary period, was was quite stable. It was, uh, you know, both both politically and, well, I, I was going to say both politically and in terms of, of succession, but I guess those are kind of one and the well. same at this point in time. <laughs> I, I meant in terms of a, uh, of international relations and gotcha. things like that. They had less problems with it. Diplomatically. Yeah, exactly. Really, the, the 18th dynasty, the, the thing that's really interesting about it is that we probably know the most about this dynasty um, out of any of them, except possibly the 19th. They're kind of they're kind of tied. The 19th dynasty is where we get uh, Ramses II, for example, sure, yeah. which uh, he built a lot of stuff. He left his name that all name. over the place. I played Civ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He left his name on a lot of buildings and a lot of statues, which yeah. helps Ramses us was here. learn a lot of stuff. Basically, yeah. Anytime there was a temple that was built <laughs> under a pharaoh. Which is kind of like the every time I hear about the pharaoh and them building monuments, it's basically a Ramses was here moment. Yeah, more or less. They, <laughs> Never forget me. <laughs> they, they'll write right across the doorway. You know, this this temple was built in the in the in the seventh year year of the reign of ramses the second it's a ramses joint yeah basically yeah he's, he's trying to listen he's trying to prove something <laughs> hey listen branding is where you find it <laughs> but we're talking about the 18th not the 19th the uh this is not the egypt that we're talking about when we look at the pyramids for example mm-hmm. that's another thing about the the length of of egyptian civilization is that the pyramids happened really early on i was gonna say that was much earlier right? it was way earlier but but that's that's the thing there's there's not that many pyramids really in Egypt, but that's the that's the that's the icon. That's right? what's on the postcard. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, and and for good reason. Those are those are striking buildings. I think the Great Pyramid was the tallest building until nearly the year 1900. Really, something like that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess it would have to be. Yeah. Well, I, you know, there's there's <laughs> somebody pointed out to me one time. Try go out in your backyard and yeah. with no tools whatsoever except maybe a shovel. Try and make the build biggest, the tallest building in the in the world. <laughs> well, just try and build the tallest stack of stuff that you can. Right. Inevitably, it's going to be pyramid shaped. No oh, problem. That's just yeah. how it, it's going to end up being a pile. <laughs> it's it's a pile. A pyramid is a is a is a very squared off pile. Yep. So uh, certainly, if you want it to not fall over as soon as the wind picks up. <laughs> exactly. So so. Unless you're willing to build a larger pyramid, you're not going to get a taller building without uh, the elevator, basically, yep. and and as, as well as like really advanced building materials. So it's it's a striking uh, it's a striking building. You know you know what else it does is attract grave robbers because they can all see where the grave is. Yep, they, they ran into a lot of problems with that <laughs> from miles around. So by the 18th dynasty, instead of building uh, instead of burying people in pyramids, we're talking about the Valley of the Kings. Mm-hmm. And this is where Tutankhamun was found. This is the 
this is the, the only other place other than the pyramids that people know about anything being buried in Egypt. So uh, this is this is right in that wheelhouse. Yep, I have heard of it. Yep. Uh, yeah, by, by the time we get to the 18th dynasty, the pyramids are at, at least a thousand years old. One of the defining features of, of kind of Egyptian culture overall is a preoccupation with death and the afterlife. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's another one of those things that people think about you know, most often when they think of Egypt, they think of two things, pyramids and mummies. Mummies. And mummies are kind of a uh, an extension of the dry climate in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Originally, what would happen is you would bury people basically out in the desert. Yep. And bodies don't really decompose in really hot and really dry climates. So oh, they get desiccated. Yep. So, but, you know, they, they look like they look like the person that they used to be for a very long time. And this had a, a pretty big impact on uh, their concept of what exactly death was. They oh, had this idea yeah. of, of sort of your, your body, uh, just because you're dead, it doesn't mean that your body is no longer useful. In fact, maybe we should be striving to make them uh, as close to the way they were in life as possible. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, they're seeing these bodies that are having nothing done to them and they look like they're keeping vaguely the same structure and shape and they're mm-hmm. like hey maybe we can do better exactly <laughs> if it's, we do something to them <laughs> it's an improvement on that whole just stick them out in the desert concept yeah and i mean for for the duration of the egyptian civilization if you are a if you are not royalty or some sort of nobility or uh you know uh, an important uh architect or something along those lines if you're not an important and wealthy person yeah they're going to continue burying them out in the desert. Yeah. Uh, because that's about as good as you can do if you can't pay for the whole embalming. Routine. Oh, sure. Yeah. You don't have a, a army of priests removing your organs and so on. You're just going to be like, well, we can just put them under this sand pile. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Essentially, yes. Come what may. <laughs> um, but if you were a wealthy uh, or important enough individual, yeah, there was there were, there were great improvements to that. But we're not here to talk about embalming today. That's Well, that's, that's good. I'm, I'm just trying to give... The thing about Egypt is that I, I've realized a number of times that I don't really know anything other than, hey, they had pyramids and hieroglyphs, I guess, and <laughs> mummies. mummies. Animal gods. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, and gods with animal heads. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, a, that's a neat one. So, well, that's, that's actually a, a good transition. I mean, a lot of their mythology had a preoccupation with death as well. Mm-hmm. So one of their more important gods, Osiris, was all about... So if you had to... Um... Sorry to interrupt. If you no, had to put a reason on it, not that you're necessarily able to do this, but would you say that their preoccupation with death was because of all their rulers and people in power being obsessed with leaving a legacy? Um, that's a or was it, was it like is it a chicken egg thing? I I really think it's a chicken and egg thing because. You know, I, I I think there are a number of you know you know speculating on the reasons that a culture or a religion takes uh, a certain shape is always a really difficult one. Oh sure. Um, I I yeah, really listen, do I think. Wanna... <laughs> I mean, I don't think anyone's practicing ancient Egyptian that's listening to this podcast, but sure, don't want to upset anyone. <laughs> no, and and that's not and, you know what, and that's not even necessarily what I'm looking to avoid necessarily. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking to avoid rampant speculation on my part. Well, that's uh, right. you know because I'm sure that there are people who have studied this more closely than I have. I well, I'm I'm a hundred percent positive. And yeah, it's, it's just always a difficult thing to speculate on why certain things become more important. But uh, as I said, I do believe that the, the preservation 
of the of the desert in terms of what the you know uh, uh, in terms of their burial practices mm-hmm. plays a big part into it okay and i do believe that the cyclical nature of their uh just of their lives due to the uh the the swelling and receding of the nile uh is also a major part of it because you're, you're looking at a uh, mythology that's rich in the idea that uh, stories about the gods aren't necessarily things that happen in the past, but are in fact ongoing things. So gotcha, every yeah. single year, Osiris is torn into pieces, and in every and every year, Isis puts him back together. It's an interesting story. Go look it up. This isn't the podcast for it, but all the king's the, horses and all the king's men. The, the mythology of it is is very interesting, and and Osiris being the keeper of the of the. Um, uh, the land of the undead and and his importance in the in the Egyptian pantheon, all of that stuff is tied to both the the Nile, um, mm-hmm. the the cycle of it, um, which is, you know, uh, again chicken and egg tied to the cyclical nature of what happens to Osiris each year. Right. Yep. Um, you know, there's a mix up of cause and effect there to some extent, hmm. as well as the fact that, you know, that story wouldn't exist if Osiris hadn't been. Uh, preserved after his death because the whole point of it is that all the pieces of Osiris's body were intact yeah. and were therefore Able reassembled. To be restored. Yeah. yeah, they were they were restored and and his life was restored as a as a consequence of it. So their concept of afterlife hinges on the ability of a person's body to be restored in a similar manner to Osiris's. Gotcha. But if they lived in a place or or buried in a way where uh, where bodies were, were not preserved, that wouldn't be something that was, you know, that was aimed for, right? Yeah, you're not taking anything with you. There's no chance at a afterlife if you're going to put a word on it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, besides besides Osiris being important, there was also um, a, a really important one was uh, Amun-Ra, which was actually a, a, a combination of two gods. And this is something they did quite often, actually, combining... Uh, two different gods to make one new one. Yep. Um, Amun was a uh, was a kind of sky creator god. Okay. Um, he was a, a primordial god, so he was one of the one of the gods who was responsible for the creation of the earth. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ra is the um, is the sun god. The sun was also incredibly important, which one of the few I know makes sense when you're in the middle of a desert, mm-hmm. <laughs> but was very much seen as a as a life giving god. Oh sure. Um, so. In in general, when you're looking at uh, at Egyptian mythology, those are some of the those are some of the the major ones, at least some of the ones that we're going to need to know. There's one more, uh, which is Horus, um, who was the son of Osiris, and he was he was a different sky god, which I know gets a little bit confusing, but his role wasn't as so. So you get two different types of gods. One is a sort of an anthropomorphized basically character in stories mm-hmm. that would act in in ways and have certain areas of, of life as their domain. An avatar. <laughs> yes. And you would have other gods that were literally that thing. Mm-hmm. So while Horus was a sky god and, uh, you know, he played a role in mythology and all of this stuff and he was ex- extremely powerful. Right. Amun was the actual sky. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and had had an active role in creating the world, but wasn't uh, a character necessarily in the way that uh, Horus was. And maybe that's a bad way of describing him, but it's it's the best I can really do to kind of simplify a really complicated idea. Would, would like the, I don't know how much I want to get into this, but would the, com- would the comparison of God and Jesus be a good thing where it's like, here's the God and here's the God made flesh? Um, 
Not necessarily. Okay. Probably well, a better <laughs> probably a better co- uh, comparison would be um, uh, when you're looking at uh, Greek mythology and the idea of the Titans that came and, and oh, you okay. know had dominion over certain areas mm-hmm. and then were uh, supplanted by their children or by pretenders or or what have you, depending on the the story. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. The reason that I bring up Horus is that the idea of a pharaoh in general was as a not just as a ruler but actually as a god king mm-hmm. and the the the, for, the pharaoh was made out to be an aspect of horus so this is actually probably a closer analogy to the god jesus dichotomy okay. yeah okay where basically every time there's a new pharaoh mm-hmm. uh they are a human aspect of horus on earth that that has divine power and each time that a pharaoh dies the new pharaoh becomes the new aspect of horus on earth mm-hmm so that leaves uh, that a straight them. up avatar thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, referring to the last Airbender. <laughs> yeah, so that lends them a, an incredible amount of power on mm-hmm. Earth, and and lends them a, a sense of legitimacy in their rule. Mm-hmm. And the final thing that I wanted to bring up, just as as society in in general, before we get specifically onto Akhenaten, was uh, that there was a, as with a lot of um, ancient civilizations, there's a kind of a uh, a melding of the the priestly and scientific classes in uh, in Egyptian culture, where you have people who are both what you would consider doctors mm-hmm. and what you would consider priests, okay, which yeah. were very powerful um, in terms of uh, their influence on day to day life. I mean, it was a not that Egypt is an enormous country, but you know, when the fastest you've got is horses. It's not as though the pharaoh is exactly hands on when it comes to ruling. Oh, sure, and yeah. so a lot of stuff would be. Rather than uh, delegated to local politicians, it would be left to the priests to kind of rule at a more local level and make sure that things are kind of kept in check. And so each city would have uh, usually a main temple that was associated with that city. So so each city would kind of have a patron god to some extent. Okay. And this isn't... Is this like a theocracy then? Is that typically how it takes shape? You could call it that. Okay. Yeah, that would be accurate. And this isn't, this isn't unusual. I mean, ancient Greece was the same way. Athens was, you know... Uh, its patron god was Athena, right? Right, like you know, like you had a similar. Uh, Seems reasonable. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah. That's that's why I, I picked it. that one. <laughs> it's a uh, it's a real obvious one. Yep. Uh, likewise, the the city that if you've heard of it, you would have heard of the Greek name Heliopolis in, mm-hmm. in Egypt would yep. have been Helios. associated with Ra, right? Helios, sun, mm-hmm. uh, Ra being the sun god. Right. So each each city has its own its own kind of patron god. Uh, that would have an inordinate amount of power in that particular region. Gotcha. So the priests would not only be doctors, but they would also be oracles. So they would make prophecies, predictions, mm-hmm. uh, and they would basically comment on the will of the gods to the people, which would often be followed. So those those two things, science and religion, are very, very closely tied together at this point in time. Hmm. Um, and the the religious class had a had a lot of power in uh, in society. So that kind of brings us up to speed, at least as a bit of an overview on, on society. I'm sure there's things that we've missed and we can sure with them as they come up. But... but now we know how things are and maybe we can learn about how they get turned on their ear. Yeah, we're, we're, beyond, we're, we're beyond mummies, pyramids, and hieroglyphs. So cool. We learned a few things. We learned some things. HI 101. That brings us up to, uh, I guess, the rule of Amenhotep the, the third, which is the, the father of the guy that we're going to be talking about. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe let's take a quick break there, and when we come back, we'll we'll really get into the whole well, what they what they call the um, 
the Otten heresy. So we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, we're back on HI101 here with Kevin Miller. Hey. Hey. We did a quick overview of kind of Egyptian society as a, as a whole, generalizing thousands of years into, you know, 25 minutes or something like that. Yeah, definitely. That's reasonable, right? So it's a fair picture. I feel like we've done them justice. And at least some rampant speculation <laughs> on my part. <laughs> uh, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm probably guilty of a few of the same. I'm noticing some themes and I'm just kind of sticking to that in my own head. <laughs> well, I was, going to, I was going to bring up something very... Basically, I wanted to cover myself on something here, mm-hmm. which is that all of this stuff is happening a, happening a really long time ago, mm-hmm. which means that I'm going to say I don't know. Like a lot. Oh sure. <laughs> Nobody knows. I, I do want to bring I do want to bring some uh, some attention to that though because we don't have good information on all of this stuff. Uh, Egypt as a society was fairly literate. They tended to write a lot of stuff down, and especially about their pharaohs, and especially about really important events, which is which is helpful. What we are going to talk about, and yeah, it was very helpful. But um, what we're going to get to uh, much later is that you know number one relatively frequently writing things down isn't the same thing as the volume of material we have to work with from say a hundred years ago or 200 years oh, ago. Oh, sure. Yeah. The, you know, people talk about the revolution of the printing press in terms of society, but especially in terms of history, it's probably one, like it's easily the, in the top five most important things that have happened in terms of the disciplines. Ability yeah, that's crazy. To... Every once in a while you look back on history and you're like, how did they do this yeah, <laughs> without absolutely. the printing press? <laughs> like, no wonder there's like 18,000 different versions of the Bible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Monks copying about by hand, man. Yeah, and or amending things or spelling things wrong or, you know, hey, this part's boring, we don't need that. <laughs> yeah, so, sometimes, sometimes making judgments on what should be in there, sometimes getting... Making just making mistakes, getting tired, spelling something wrong, and you know, fifteen hundred years later, it's a and then an iteration on an iteration for fifteen hundred years. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 uh, it's hard to imagine a world without printed words and and the the ease of which we can get uh, ideas across to one another. Because when you're thinking about writing being something that happens on clay tablets mainly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which are just erased and then reused, right? Like they just fold them back in on themselves. Yep. Or on papyrus, mm-hmm. which is made out of reeds that they collect from the uh, from the Nile, and mm-hmm. those are incredibly like they they degrade so easily. I can imagine, yeah. Uh, they find lots of them in the tombs because, again, hot and dry is good oh, sure. for preservation. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the vast majority of them aren't entombed with leaders. The vast majority of them are used for uh, usually things like accounting. Which <laughs> yeah. nobody bothers to save after a certain amount of time. Yeah, that's fair. Or you get writing that is on uh, the walls of tombs or on monuments and statues, which is usually, as you were saying earlier, check me out. I'm Ramses II. Look how great I am. Yep. Here's the cool story of me. Here's a cool story <laughs> of me. Remember that time that I went to war and I totally won? Yeah. Don't listen great. to that other guy. I won. <laughs> <laughs> um, which, which This is... guy's a butt. <laughs> It's it's helpful. It's helpful, but it's not necessarily helpful in terms of getting a real life picture of what you know what, what life would be like for you and I if we happened to be Egyptian. It's funny because I'm remembering that scene from The Simpsons where Bart writes Bart was here in cement with his finger, and then envisions a future world where people worship him as a god. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah, and that's a good point because 
what's funny about that is that nobody's ever going to pay attention to that. Yeah, that, that no. sidewalk going to be turned up is going to be torn up in a hundred years and yeah, it's exactly. gone. It's lost to the ages. <laughs> but it's the same sort of idea. <laughs> sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Anyways, all of this is just to say that, you know, the information that we have is partially drawn from the records that we can find and translate, and partially it's from archaeological records and things like that, where mm-hmm. it's not necessarily as certain what they mean. But archaeological records can be uh, interpreted through other knowledge that we collect. So gotcha. yeah. it gives us a best idea uh, sometimes when there's enough of it. Context. <laughs> Context is key. So we're going to be talking about Amenhotep IV, um, who came to power around 1352 BCE. Mm-hmm. Don't know for sure. 52. There it is it's very right specific. off the bat. Uh, well, I mean, I, there's there's a few years That's to either side, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of this ends up being, well, this guy ruled for 17 years, and this guy ruled for 12 years, and this guy, and then yeah. you know, oh, 17 yeah. so pharaohs down have started the line. There for yeah, this exact date. And then 17 years down the line, somebody mentions a uh, an eclipse that they can date to a specific day. Oh, I see. And then they go, okay, well, it must be this year, and then they count back. That's got to be helpful, eh? It is, and it isn't sometimes because sometimes there's. Uh, there's contradictions as to which eclipse it was. Sometimes oh, there's questions yeah. as to how accurate, uh, which may only be the difference of, of a couple years. Yeah. Yeah. There's always going to be a couple of years, the other side. And the other thing is for the most part, I'm not going to be talking about dates today. What, what, what I'm going to be talking about is, uh, in which year of his reign, because that's the way they talked about it. Got it. They didn't keep a calendar the way we do. Um, Every time they got a new pharaoh, they started from year one, and it is in year one of so-and-so's reign. Yeah, actually, if, if this is all happening, you know, 3,000 years ago, maybe having it all laid out from, and then two years later he did this, and three years later he did this, that is actually going to help me contextualize it better. Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, well, and yeah, it's more accurate, and I think it's more helpful, because another thing that you run into is that we're also talking about BCE, mm-hmm. which means that it's smaller reversed. numbers mean more recent, <laughs> yep. which is confusing. Anyways, Amenhotep IV may have spent as much as nine years as co-regent with his father, Amenhotep III. This was common when there were health problems or sometimes when pharaohs lived longer, they wanted to give their adult children a chance to basically practice ruling. Right. And and this isn't unique to to Egypt. You saw this all all over the place where they would give children certain amounts of, of uh, responsibility while still kind of under their guidance. Yeah, it doesn't sound crazy. It sounds very reasonable. It's it's an incredibly practical thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not sure exactly how much time he spent as co-regent. I've seen anywhere from five to nine. But you know what? For 3,500 years ago, that's a pretty narrow window. So yep. I'll take cool. it. Now, he, he was married to uh, Nefertiti, which is another name that you should probably recognize. I do. She uh, There's that one bust of her. It's real famous. That's true, yeah. That's and and that's the funny thing when I was reading when I was reading up on this, I'm like, oh, Nefertiti, I know that one. There's got to be a whole bunch of information. No, there's no. like the one bust. There's yeah. like no information on there. But it says Nefertiti was here on it, so that's how we know. Yeah, exactly. So, anyways, within the first year of his reign, he did something kind of weird, which was wow, right off the bat, huh? Right off the bat, he had this fascination with this god god called Aten, mm-hmm. and Aten was like considered very minor in the Egyptian pantheon. Okay. Aten was the actual sun disk itself. So while Ra was the sun god and was kind of like a, an anthropomorphized aspect of the sun and was sort of the, the 
it's it's similar to how how Horus was sort of the the active version of the sky, while, while Amun was the passive version of it. Mm-hmm. Um, Aten was kind of the passive version of the sun, okay. to some extent. This is all going to make a little bit more sense as we go through. Sure. But his his fascination with Aten was... was not sure exactly what you mean by sun disk. The actual literal circle that is in the sky that is the sun. Oh, I see. Yes. So our, our understanding of the sun in ancient times. Uh, yeah, you could... At of least, the physical sun. At least in his earliest understanding of Aten and in the traditional understanding of Aten, you can point at Aten. It's right, it's right up there. Yeah, there, there it is. is. Yeah. Well, cloud went in front of him. He's looking at me. He'll come back later. I miss you. Um, so it, it's, it's very much worshipping the physical, literal sun. Okay. Um, and this was weird, especially because uh, the... Capital at this point in time was Thebes, mm-hmm. which was dedicated to Amun, the the sky god. Right. And more specifically, at this point in time, it was most fashionable to combine him with with Ra to make Amun Ra. Amun Ra, yeah. Uh, which was uh, just a just a powerhouse combo in uh, in Egyptian religion. Oh, sure, yeah, the Macho Man and Hulk of the uh, era. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just an incredible tag team. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's okay. That's fine. Listen, this is I'm why relating we do this it to show. things that I know. <laughs> this is this is why we do this show, right? And and we've had this discussion so many times. But like, I could sit here and talk about a bunch of interesting stuff to do with Egypt, and people. But if we would be can't like, compare oh, it to Macho Man Randy Savage, then what's the point? <laughs> I get it. Exactly. I know. I, I I I need that. I need that. I really do. It's it's. Don't we all? <laughs> we do. That we all need that. I mean, what 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 metaphor was uh, I going to use? Yeah, we could just turn this off right now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, no, no, please stop apologizing. I love it. Tangents. Tangents. All With over the place. So he starts building this temple to Aten, which you know is technically an aspect of Ra. Is the physical sun disk is uh, not necessarily extremely well respected. He would be like he would be known. He would be. He would be recognizable to all of these sure, people. Sure, but in list of gods that you're worshipping day to day, he's, you know, 11th down. He's pretty far down there. Yeah. And Egyptian culture at this point in time is kind of like, well, whichever gods that you identify with the closest, you just kind of have uh, possibly a small shrine in your home to them. Okay. You, you dedicate yourself to them. That's, that's fine, whatever you feel like doing. So was it common, like, in a bigger, like a capital city or like a ruling city to have like several temples to like one for each god or several to each god or oh absolutely but they're like, all the way down the line sure yeah absolutely but i i mean you're talking about the difference between like a cathedral for the the main god of that city right or to, like some little backdoor yeah like, just a just a little shrine, shrine or something yeah that's dedicated to to mm. one that's maybe a little bit less well known right so yeah, there would be there would be a priesthood to each uh, to each god. But uh, it, I mean, to a point. Yeah, what I'm kind of getting at is it wouldn't be necessarily odd to see uh, a shrine to Aten. No, 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 it's not odd at all. It, um, in in fact, it's not uh, as common, but it, it's not out of place. It, well, in fact, it would also it would, it would almost be welcomed because probably if he's building a shrine to Aten in Thebes, there is probably not a good shrine yet. That's actually a fair point. Yeah, and there's probably fair. people that do identify with or or revere Aten that are going like, sweet, this is awesome. Now we get a, you know, right, a great new shrine that we can go to to uh, devote ourselves to Aten. This is this is great. 
I uh, should actually uh, bring up for context, and you know this because you know me, mm-hmm. but for your listeners, uh, my biggest uh, exposure to a polytheistic system where everyone knows for certain that gods exist and have domain over various aspects is Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, so I'm sure. comparing a lot of things right now. Well, I mean... <laughs> and but... and it, it, it's, that's kind of my context for having this conversation. Yeah, that, that's fine. And and I mean, Dungeons and Dragons comes from somewhere, right? Like, it's not oh, as definitely. It invented all of this stuff from... It's from actually interesting. Broth. There's a lot of uh, gods in there that are based on, like, uh, Mesopotamian gods, like Bahamut and uh, sure. and uh, some Egyptian ones as well. Like, Pelor is, uh, is basically raw. Mm. So just like that system, basically, whoever you decide to devote yourself isn't uh, devote yourself to isn't necessarily a, a problem for anybody else. Like nobody's gonna have an issue with it. No. And that's that's one of the that's one of the things about polytheistic religions that some people don't necessarily realize about them is that they tend to be incredibly tolerant because there's a whole bunch of them. Yeah, like, everyone recognizes the existence of all of them, mm-hmm. and no one's going to get upset because you're paying special attention to one or two of them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, Amenhotep is Amenhotep is building this sweet new shrine to to Aten. Things are going well. Uh, nobody thinks anything is weird. I'm picturing something that gives a lot of uh, power to the sun, like some sort of a, like like an atrium or like an observatory or something. I have no idea what it looks like. I don't know if there are even I, 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 there. There may be ruins around, but I, I I can almost guarantee you that the actual temple itself doesn't exist. I, I would oh, imagine sure. so. They tended to be fairly conscious of things like that. I mean, you would definitely see. Uh, for example, an east-west orientation to, yeah. uh, you know, to address the rising and setting of the sun, things like that. Exactly. It's something that calls specific attention to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then year five of his reign comes around and Amenhotep decides to change his name. Okay. He changes it to well, that's Akhenaten. Good because I haven't tried to pronounce like Amenhotep. Oh, there it is. It's, it's, I just got it. What's his new name? <laughs> it's not so bad. His new, his new, name, is, his new name is Akhenaten. Oh boy, Akhenaten. All right, which means spirit of Aten. Sure. And he's making a very public show of like, he's going himself. whole hog. <laughs> yeah, he's he's making a very pu- public show of, of devoting himself to 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 Aten. Okay, so uh, going back to something that we kind of said before the break, uh, yep. where these uh, pharaohs are considered god kings and to be uh, aspects of. Amun-Ra, I believe it was. Horus, actually. Horus, sorry. Yep. Um, the Sky God, that's right. Um, so is he considering himself to be an aspect of Aten then? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> but but like, is it like unreasonable that people would think, hey, wait a minute? Well, there's, there's two things going on. First okay. of all, uh, because of the wonky numbering system, mm-hmm. we're not entirely sure whether or not his dad is still alive. Oh, I see. So even though it's real so five... So he's, he's playing it cool? <laughs> Well, yeah, even though it's still year five of his reign, it's not entirely clear whether or not his dad is kicking around and whether or not it's still partially his dad's reign. Because if his dad is still around, if Amenhotep III is still around, then he's technically the aspect of Horus. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. There can't be two. There can't be two. The other thing is that he's not... He's going to get more public about this. Sure. As we go on with this. Yeah, as an artist, you're never truly free until your parents are dead, I guess. (laughs) That's... Bleak. Well, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've heard the saying before, but wow. Anyways, at this point in time, he also begins construction of a new city, which is basically like in the middle of nowhere. Okay. And this new city is called Akatatan, which is also known as Amarna. And we are going to no- go with Amarna because it's way less confusing. Yeah, I already forgot the first one. 
Akhenaten. Yeah. Okay. So his name is Akhenaten. The <laughs> city is called Akhenaten. Yikes. Okay. Yep. We're no. going with Amarna. Yep. <laughs> this is one of those cases where I'm willing to be slightly inaccurate for the sake of clarity. Yep. Making a podcast here. <laughs> this is not a dissertation. People will get over it. <laughs> yeah. God, can you imagine adding that to your uh, to your spell check? Sorry, did you mean Akhenaten? Yeah, basically. <laughs> no, for the last time. Oh. I don't know. Did I? Oh, geez. Now, the uh, Amarna's other name, Akhenaten, uh, means horizon of Aten. Yep. So the idea that that's where the sun rises. I thought that there was a root word in there. <laughs> oh yeah, you'll see it all over the place. Oh boy, horizon. That's yeah. a good. That's a good use of that. I like it. And he begins. Uh, he begins actually transferring the 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 uh, the capital to Akhetaten in this in year seven. Hmm. Or sorry, Amarna. We're going with Amarna. I already said that. I'll keep it. I'll keep it with Amarna. Cool. He starts transferring the capital to Amarna mm-hmm. um, in year seven again. Maybe that's when his dad died. Was year seven. So we're not sure if it's when he started building it in year five, or if it's when he started transferring it in year seven. But there's a pretty good chance that that's when. Sure. So after death, or at least like at the decline of life. Yeah. He was like, "Listen, (laughs) yeah, we're moving this thing." And this is old man. Yeah, we'll we'll kind of get around to some of the the reasons behind all of the stuff that he's doing. Mm -hmm. But I really want to cut right into the Otten heresy before we get too much further with motivations and things. I want I want to talk about what it actually is. Mm -hmm. So he. Another two years later, year, year nine of his reign, he did something that was actually outrageous. I mean, all this other stuff is just kind of regular crazy pharaoh stuff. Right, and according to our best knowledge, this is after his father has died. Absolutely. This is almost 100% after his father has died. Okay. Nine years after his father's... Uh, so nine years been... after his reign starts is, is the latest that his father possibly could have died. Gotcha. So he's been gearing up for like five to seven years, and yep. now that he is the ruler... Yep. Bar none, he's making his move. Yep, he makes an announcement. He declares that Aten is the supreme and only god. Oh. <laughs> and he forbids worship of all other gods. Oh, no. He forbids idols in all homes unless they are to, not to Aten, but to him. Because in his system, only he and Nefertiti are allowed to offer any... any um, Direct praise? <laughs> yeah, any direct praise to Aten, uh, the, the actual god um everyone else is to pray to him as an intermediary between them and Aten. wow i I, and i mean the idea of the the king being an an intermediary between or the pharaoh i should say being an intermediary between uh the people and the gods is not unreasonable or new it's not new yeah i think it's unreasonable well okay (laughs) fair enough but uh to to the average citizen it's not unreasonable yeah they're not they're not they're not surprised this is par for the course by them but forbidding all of the other idols in homes Mm -hmm. that's a big one suddenly yep and he also goes through and he trashes temples like crazy wow destroys temples to any other gods and focuses specifically on Amun, who was patron of Thebes, as you'll remember, the old right. capital. Yeah. So that's a thing that happened. Yeah, and this I is... can imagine it made a lot of people very upset, but there's not a lot they can do about it. Yeah, it's a pretty big about face from a, a society who, you know, 
supports open worship of any god. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly, and and not only that, but has an entire pantheon of gods to deal with different situations. I mean, mm-hmm. that's another point of flexibility True, yeah, for yeah. polytheism is that if the crops go poorly, maybe the god that's in charge of agriculture isn't you know necessarily failing in their duties, but possibly the god that deals with the sky and as a result weather has failed. You know, so you can kind of shift blame around a little bit. Yeah, and I mean, you're not going to incite any riots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. necessarily. <laughs> exactly. Now he's saying that Aten is not just the sun disk. He's saying that Aten is a, a a god that's higher than any of this stuff. He mm-hmm. starts ascribing things like creation to Aten. Okay. He starts claiming that the sun disk is actually. A, uh, an icon representing the idea of Aten because Aten is a being that's higher than um, uh, any sort of physical manifestation. I see. And that you can't truly have uh, an image of Aten. So basically he's destroying all iconography because nothing could truly capture wow. the aspect of Aten. Really? Yes. Well, I have a question then. Yes. How do we know this? Records, many, many records. But if the records were written in hieroglyph and we can't have a, a physical manifestation of Aten, how are they? They allow they allow the hieroglyph of the sun disk to still, still represent, represent Aten for okay. a time, and then uh, once they decide that that's no longer acceptable, what they start doing is uh, writing out Aten phonetically, oh, because within okay. the within the hieroglyphic alphabet there is also like a, a, a set that's used phonetically gotcha. because not. And, and you'll see a similar thing in modern Chinese, where not every single thing can be uh, represented by an existing character. So there is a subset that is used specifically for phonetic pronunciation of a thing. Okay. So if there is no character, you write it out phonetically. Cool. So not begin... a stupid question on my part. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, a, it's a completely reasonable question, because if he's saying that the sun just can't... Well, yeah, like if Aten. he's destroying all iconography, and that's most of how we understand their language, mm-hmm. then... That would make writing about him difficult. Yes. No, absolutely. And I think that was part of the point. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like. Yeah, it, it is part of the point, but we'll get to a different point mm-hmm. uh, very shortly. Uh, there were a couple more tenets of Ottonism that I wanted to hit before we go, move on to that cool. stuff. Cool. I'm going to get ready to react to these. First of all, I do want to mention that we're not entirely certain that this was monotheism. What it may have been instead was uh, what's called monolatry. Okay. Which means that while it allows for or possibly even acknowledges the existence of other gods, it disallows worship of those gods or even acknowledgement of them, hmm. which is a different sort of thing. That's more, I don't know, I would ascribe that more to the culture than to the religion. Yes, I agree. But my point is that it's really difficult to tell, but but I... I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's difficult to tell whether a central tenet of Atenism was that Aten is the only god that exists. Right. Or whether it is that Aten is the only god that it is acceptable to worship. Right. It's okay. a subtle difference, but it's one that we haven't really been able to resolve in any way. And it is kind of interesting, especially because people are looking at this as the first instance of monotheism in history. Sure. And I mean, from the perspective of someone living at the time, it probably wasn't that subtle a difference. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Yeah. And I mean, they're probably, in fact, they're probably more concerned with uh, not being allowed to worship uh, their previous gods than they are yeah. with the. Uh, 
you know, it's it's a difference between you're not allowed to worship Amun or Horus versus Horus is dead. <laughs> there exactly. was never a Horus. Exactly. But that's one point that we're not we're not sure on, and it would be nice to know in some way. Sure. But I, you know, at this point, it would take a, an incredible find to to confirm one way or another. Oh yeah, definitely. The final big change with Otanism is that when you die, you no longer are taken to the underworld. You are no longer guided by Anubis. You are no longer, uh, you know, the, the scales are no longer weighed. There, there's, there's this really interesting uh, concept in, in Egyptian uh, mythology that when you, when you die, your, your, your heart is placed on a scale against a feather. Mm-hmm. And the more evil you do in your life, the heavier your heart becomes. And if your heart it, it doesn't balance with the, heavier than the feather... feather then you uh, then you're not allowed into the afterlife, right? Uh, which is interesting. That is now done by Akhenaten. When you die, Akhenaten will be there, and he'll be like, "Hey, what's up? I'm doing your feather weighing." <laughs> Step aside. <laughs> um, and when you go to the afterlife, it's no longer underground. It's actually uh, a city of light within the city of Amarna. It's it's a it's a temple to Aten. So basically, anything to do with not only their day-to-day life, but even their afterlife has all of a sudden been usurped by this worship of Adam. So they, they believe the afterlife is in a physical location that they can point to and like walk by every day? Yes, and that's where they will live. Oh, boy. Yep. But it is but entry to it is is determined by Akhenaten. Right. At the behest of the god Aten. So now you're not only messing with their day-to-day worship, you're actually dealing with where they're going to go after they die. Mm-hmm. Cool afterlife. Why would he do this? <laughs> I have so many questions. Well, there's two there's two really cynical ways of looking at this. I was going to say I can only come up with like really I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to judge him too hard, but No, that's okay. Let's judge him. I'm about to, so that's fine. Well, it it just sounds like he got into some like he fell in deep. He drank the Otten Kool-Aid. <laughs> that's absolutely a possibility. Yeah. There's another possibility, as I said, a much more cynical view of this. Okay. Which is that he felt that the priesthood class in Thebes had become far too, more powerful. too powerful. I see. And their stranglehold on the worship of Amun was so strong that he wanted to pull that away from them. Right. Because this did a few things. Number one, it consolidated both religious and political power around the pharaoh in a way that it hadn't before. Yeah. Because being an aspect of Horus wasn't really as powerful as being the only person who could communicate with the only god as well as an aspect of that god. Right. So he not only basically said, hey, the god that you're currently worshipping doesn't matter anymore, but I'm the aspect of the one that you are worshipping and all of that has to go through me. (laughs) Yes, correct. It also stripped all of this power from the priesthood, not just socially, but in terms of people weren't bringing them offerings anymore because they couldn't, because there was no aspect there to offer worship to. Okay. Because that os- that that aspect no longer existed. It was it was it had been destroyed, and even if it hadn't been destroyed, it was null and void because it was a a, a, a statue of a god who no longer existed. Yeah, it's and they were nerd. <laughs> yeah, and they were priests, and they were priests of. Uh, an order who represented a god who no longer existed. Right, yeah. So if the priesthood is very closely tied to the scientific community and basically is the scientific community, does mm-hmm. this represent, ironically, some sort of uh, Egyptian dark age? That's a difficult question to answer. Which is ironic because it's the sun god. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that's that's a really difficult question to answer because this isn't going to last a long time. Okay, fair enough. So there's not a huge decline that we can map. There isn't a measurable decline. Okay. It doesn't it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be a problem. If I had to speculate, and and let's be clear, this is speculation. Sure. I think what if anything, it would drive these priests towards focusing solely on things like medicine. I see. Because earthly they, concerns because well they, they no longer had any any religious uh importance however what you're also going to see is an underground movement of people who are offering cures that are based around egyptian gods that are supposed to not exist anymore but okay you know people are still going to be looking for cures from yeah from i was just thinking if at least on an official basis if these priests are stripped of all resources and credibility basically so you get sick so your, your kid gets sick, and you're not exactly sure what it, what it is. Okay. And the only people that you know that can help are these former priests. Yeah, you go find one. You say, I need a hand with this. He has a fever. I don't know what's going on. Can you take a look at him? Right. The priest, like, looks around, like, opens up the, the trench coat and, like, pulls mm-hmm. off a piece of papyrus <laughs> and goes, listen, I'm not supposed to be giving you this, but here's a prayer that I need you to say. Uh, to Thoth because he's the god that will be able to help you out and you go but there's no I I thought (laughs) Aten was the only god anymore and and the guy looks around and says do you want your kid to live or not yeah true and then you slip him some money for potentially saving your child's life and he goes about his day is it dangerous for both of you yes yep are you going to care no I mean the, the risk reward there is yeah (laughs) Oh, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, things were grim. <laughs> let's be very clear about this. People were not happy about this. No, change. yes. <laughs> Pretty much everyone was really angry about this change. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's no taxes going to these priests anymore. So they're not state sponsored really anymore. Nope. Uh, there's no offerings going to them. There's no physical manifestation of Aten. So they couldn't just set up a, a statue of Aten and continue to collect all of these things that they had been collecting. Right. Because the only one that could actually make offerings to them mm-hmm. were Akhenaten and Nefertiti. Right. Yep. So what do you do? You're out of business. You're out of business. He, he, he <laughs> or you're out of legitimate business. <laughs> yeah. He completely destroyed the priesthood, uh, especially within Thebes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Which... You know, again, like that's that's maybe a little bit of a, a cynical way of looking at what he did, but whether that was his intent or not, it's something that happened. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the the reality of situations like this is rarely one or the other. Sometimes uh, choosing to do something and having you know side benefits isn't necessarily a, a terrible thing when you're the one making the decision. Right. Yeah. Of course. Um, <laughs> so. I mean, to, to call it upheaval is is the smallest, like it's it's the it's the most it's understated the basis way of their culture of of, of their society. Of this. Yeah, I mean, and he's just like, nope, here's that new one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and 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 you know things like, so yes, there are still burials, there are still mummifications, people are still entombed in the same way, but the the iconography sure, that goes and all on the, the ceremony tombs, around is completely different. Yeah, the iconography that goes on the tombs, the the gods that they're praying to during the the embalming process, mm-hmm. the books of the dead that are that are entombed with these people, right? So the the which are which are guides through the afterlife, right? Like they would they would make one for each tomb, and it would contain not only uh, stories but also spells to help you get past the things that were standing in your way. I, I liken the book of the dead to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Afterlife. <laughs> it it kind of is, and and 
the Book of the Dead is is one of those things that like it's dangerous to go alone. Take this. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> but it's it's different in every tomb, right? Like because priests would make them up for the person. Right. There's no one standardized Book of the Dead. Well, the Book of the Dead, even even though it would kind of shift around, completely changed under under Ottonism, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the one of the like, most important aspects of of you know this the the life cycle of an Egyptian is is completely changed. Right. And that that went for everything. I mean, you no longer, uh, you know, prayed to Thoth for a good uh, for a good harvest. That was all to you. Um, you no longer like it's it's just all of this stuff that that disappeared from their lives. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people didn't really understand how or didn't really know how to react to that because. If he came along and said, Aten is now the most important God, but do whatever you feel like in your day-to-day life, nothing would change for anybody. Right. They go, okay. And uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> probably have to show up to some state-sponsored, uh, you know, Aten worship. Mm-hmm. And they would continue yeah, to do their other stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to outright deny, at the very least, the ability to worship all of these other gods mm-hmm. is uh, a very, very new thing. <laughs> at the me. very least. Well, I mean, if if not devo- d- denying their very existence, yeah. Oh boy, <laughs> but, yeah, I know, I know. And you know, I was I was worried when I came into this topic that because there's so little information that mm-hmm. it go a little bit quick. There's a lot of meat to kind of sink your teeth into here because trying to process the level of societal change that's going on is substantial well there is and especially like trying to put yourself in the shoes of you know a peasant at the time yeah <laughs> and what this means for you absolutely and oh <laughs> yeah there's yeah. no coming back from that although as you say it sounds like it's a a, a short <laughs> it's it's not gonna last all that long <laughs> and and i think i i don't know i i always feel mixed about jumping to the end of these things when i'm recording them i have a theory <laughs> people are i i don't know how people uh feel about that when they're listening to it but it's it's pretty i, I, don't know I, if I feel we can like spoil this, is, this i feel like this is a pretty obvious one in terms of how things are gonna go yeah um maybe not with specifics but in terms of maybe otanism isn't going to stick around forever yeah maybe something's gonna happen <laughs> maybe something it's a nice religion he's got there shame if anything were gonna happen to it yeah, basically <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe, and, and, and that's the, as you said, maybe he just drank the Kool-Aid. Maybe he was that devoted to, to Aten. Maybe he was that, you don't build a city in the middle of nowhere well, for and, no reason. Yeah. And if I had to guess, I imagine it was some combination of the two. I, I think that's fair. Yeah. I, or it's I, like, here, you know, I'm, I'm into this. It's not what everyone else is into, but I can make them into it too by political mandate. Yeah. And his father had been something of an Otten devotee as well, but like within the, again, yeah. within the context. Yeah, exactly. This entire not, not my number one guy, top three. <laughs> yeah. Like he was up there. But he's he pretty was, good, I guess. He was also Horus on Earth. I mean, so people, people like the sun. He paid attention to that as well. Yeah. You know? I don't know. It's uh it's it's a complicated it's a complicated issue and it's a complicated enough one looking at it from thirty five hundred years after it happened. Yeah. Uh trying to imagine the the extent of the turmoil, but living through it, I I I can't imagine how disruptive that would be to everyday life and to every single citizen. Oh well. sure, yeah. 
Because you live in your life one way for the last, you know, 20, 30 years, and then suddenly... <laughs> because he was having the military go through and destroy temples. He was having the military go through and check people's homes. Mm-hmm. That was a line that had not been crossed before. At least in, in the context of religious worship in, in Egypt. Mm-hmm. And uh, and yeah, it was it was a very new thing. And to to say that people were unhappy about it would be... A gross understatement. A, a huge understatement. So I'm thinking about maybe stopping it here. Are there any questions about Atonism that you want to maybe ask before we go much further? Or I know that's such a broad thing to ask. There's yeah, so many aspects uh, that this touches. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, there's not a lot that I don't think I could probably imagine. Like we've already talked about these other gods still continuing to be worshipped in a very underground sort of way yes hmm. yeah i don't know i, I imagine uh, I, I know it's a tough question part. because it's such a broad topic that you know where, where do you begin right yeah so yeah it, it, that, that was more as long as there's no you know glaring points that are that are sticking out to you that seem no i think we've kind of addressed most of the things <laughs> to question sure which is uh yeah there's some very broad points it's like what how come on <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, it helps. Quite the power play. <laughs> it's, it, oh, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it helps to be lo- it, it helps that this happened long enough ago that information actually could be suppressed. This is something that people don't talk about a lot necessarily, but mm-hmm. we, we mentioned the printing press a little bit earlier. Before the printing press, you could burn books, and that was the only book. Yep. And it was gone forever. Like, that, that was the end of that knowledge for all, for all eternity. For all time. And, and that's one of the things that makes the printing press such an amazing invention is that you could produce things in such vast quantities. That yeah, once something's written, you can generally write it, you know, 500 times. and <laughs> Exactly. And you can never you can never bring them. All you can back. never be sure that it's gone forever. And you sort of see that with the, you know, with the, the digital age and with the Internet on a much uh, broader scale but sure yeah put, once you post a picture on the internet everyone has it <laughs> like and and man try as you might you're probably never going to pull it back it's it's virtually impossible it's it's out there forever mm-hmm. um but that like the the, the 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 printing press had that effect on the world when it came out where it was like not once to make a reference to the space jam webs <laughs> <laughs> it's there forever <laughs> I, they, if they ever take it down, I will riot. Say, so, yeah, it's it's like the hieroglyphic wall of our time. It's there from the ancient internet from twenty years ago. <laughs> oh, 1996 Warner Brothers. Thank you for putting that up and leaving it up forever. Oh my God, what a time to be alive! Amazing, absolutely amazing. But you know, the the, the information could be suppressed by Akhenaten, and that's that's something that's really really mind boggling for me. Is that he could just destroy all the temples, and that was all the temples. Yeah, to continue the metaphor, he's ending net neutrality. <laughs> yeah. Oh, by all means. By all <laughs> Put means. Put in a much, much more aggressive way. Yeah. And fundamental to people's lifestyles. Yeah. So, this one, this episode is a little bit more conceptual than it is necessarily narrative based but yeah it's it's a broad departure for me (laughs) yeah and i I think it's a good thing well maybe maybe not everyone will agree with me on that but i think it's an interest an interesting enough concept that it stands on its own legs so we're we're gonna leave things there for today but uh next time it's going to get a little bit more story driven especially when we look at uh the end of akhenaten's reign and how this is all going to 
fall on the shoulders eventually of his his son and successor, uh, Tutankhamun. Maybe you heard of him. Maybe you heard of him. <laughs> While Akhenaten was able to successfully enforce Atenism as pharaoh, the real challenge to the religion lay in trying to establish it as a lasting change within Egyptian culture. For a civilization as conservative as ancient Egypt, it would not be an easy task. Next time on HI101, we'll talk about how that burden would fall mainly on his successors, including the famous pharaoh Tutankhamun. That episode will be up on September 15th. As the format of this show inevitably leads to factual errors, I encourage you to visit hi101.ca and check out the corrections posted there. That's hi101.ca. If there are any errors I haven't addressed there, please let me know and I'll add them to the notes. And remember, HI101 is a broad introduction. If the subject we've discussed today has caught your attention, I encourage you to look for more information. It only gets better from here. I'm Adam Blesky, and this has been HI101.